Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Hey Steve, how's it going? Good, how are you buddy? Good, good. So that was a good last uh, podcast with uh, L. Pete there, sure enjoyed listening to him and uh, great work we're doing uh, with silt so that was pretty enlightening to hear what's going on with silt and uh, the, the Granby project was uh, I really enjoyed that uh, yeah it was pretty cool getting a, a look behind the scenes so to speak kind of like what we're doing on this next episode but it, it was really cool to see it from a different point of view so yeah. yeah learned a lot from Al and how silt was formed and what they're up to where they've been and where they're going I, I enjoyed it it's a great reminder too, like with conservation, um, you know, we've been part of this great organization for, for a few years, but there's been people out there for literally decades, like Al said, 32 years out there uh, trying to make a difference for wildlife. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there and, and the uh, Wild Sheep Society, the work that's been done here, you look at our sort of founding fathers, um, we got Bill Pastrick, I think he was our second president. He's been around for um, literally decades and mm. on the wild sheep landscape and he's still involved today. Um, and, and he's not the only one. We've got tons of people just going out and doing fantastic work. So it's always a good reminder for me. And it's always, I don't know, um, I guess inspirational really when I think about it, about the work that's been done ahead of us. Mm. And, 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 and then it's also a little intimidating when we look at (laughs) these people that have been working so hard for years and there's still a lot of work to be done too. Right. So. Oh, totally. It, it, it lets you know that there is a greater goal than just the one that we, we've got in vision, right? There's so many other stakeholders and user groups out there that are working towards the same thing. Whether or not you sit on how you do it, we're all on the same thing. And that's land and pretty animals all over the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now what's what's going on in bc i'm i work i'm in we're coming live from la here so um i'm down in los angeles today for work uh, related stuff but uh, what's going on in bc i know there's been some changes up there with the provincial health officer and that sort of stuff so what's happening yeah yesterday uh we we kind of saw it coming and i think we made the right call and being proactive with uh postponing canceling our our fundraisers uh yesterday uh, provincial health order came down that there's no gatherings outside of your immediate family. Uh, Maths in every public building. That's uh, for two weeks. However, as, as things are, that's uh, an ongoing thing, and we we had no idea nine ten months ago that we'd still be in a state of emergency, looking after each other. So, I I, I think we did make the right call, and uh, it, it gives people as much notice as possible that hey we're going to be up to something else. So stay tuned. Yeah. So on that note, um, for 2021, as you probably heard, we've uh, had to cancel our in-person fundraisers, both the Northern fundraiser and our Kamloops convention. Um, The board of directors met uh, in early November to have this discussion. Um, And I can say that the discussion was not an easy one. It went on for a long time. 
and we looked at all different possibilities and really um, we just looked at the possibility of, of hosting something that was really going to be worth uh, attending that was worthy of our members and uh, we just felt that it wasn't going to work so short term 2021 uh, unfortunately our northern fundraiser uh, in-person event is cancelled same with the Kamloops convention but we've gone to um, our uh, wild sheep salute to conservation it's basically an online a virtual event um, we're going to have a northern fundraiser in February, February 6th. It's going to be online. We're going to have online auctions, um, some silent auction stuff. We're going to do a bunch of raffles, um, and um, there'll be more on that shortly. And then we're going to have a Kamloops convention as well. Same thing, March 12th and 13th. Um, again, we're going to try and do a two-day show there. Again, online-based uh, seminars, raffles, guest speaker um, obviously an online auction, silent auction, raffles, all that stuff. So very cool. I'm really excited about it. It's different. Um, it's not going to ever replace what we do in person and we're going to have one heck of a party when COVID decides to die or go away or whatever we do with that thing. But once we get back on track, we're, we're going to have a one heck of a party. So I'm stoked about it. It's going to look different, but we're still going to offer something for our members and our supporters because conservation doesn't stop, right? Those wild sheep yeah. on the uh, mountain, they don't know, what COVID is. And if we don't do our part to put those funds on the ground for wild sheep, then we're in trouble, right? So yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing the cascade effect from around the world with conservation organizations. I, I know our banquet up here, it was our 50th anniversary this mm -hmm. year. And we, we, we sold out 420 tickets in a matter of hours. We upgraded another uh, 250 tickets and they were already spoken for. And we had Les Stroud, the survivor man, who was up here as our speaker. He was stoked to come. And all of a sudden, a month and a bit from it, it was, uh-oh. So we've, we've uh, been forced to look at other avenues. So it, it's, it's not, as you said, new. Unfortunately, everybody's going to have to, to uh, make some concessions and realize that, as you said, conservation never stops. And we're going to be looking for everybody's help. Uh, we're gonna have some cool fundraisers, some uh, great initiatives out there, and what said I can't when this is done, and we can all get together. It's gonna be one hell of a party. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Well said for sure. Um, so coming up on episode number nine, uh, Talk is Sheep, we have somebody pretty special. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're bringing Sabrina Larson back out of retirement. So uh, <laughs> we're going to take a, a look behind the scenes of the Wild Sheep Society BC. Uh, Sabrina Larson was the executive assistant for Wild Sheep BC for the past two years. Um, uh, she moved on uh, a couple months ago. She's, uh, she's a busy lady. She's got a, a young family. She's got lots on the go and uh, still a great supporter of what we do. She's one of our Monarch members, fantastic um, supporter of, of what we're doing. And Sabrina has been a big part of driving what we've done in conservation for the last couple of years. So um, really excited to have her on the, uh, the podcast today. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one for sure, Steve. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When we started spitballing who could be our next guest, it was like, yes, I, I know who we want to come on. So stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll be back shortly. Sounds great. If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics, a tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep. Precision Optics, located in Quinell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods, located just off Highway 97 in Quinell, B. See.
Sabrina, good to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah, it's bizarre. We haven't talked much. We used to talk every single day and now it's been weeks. So it's, I, I know. I don't have you blowing up my phone asking for stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> I saw her yesterday, so I, I can't really echo your sentiment, Kyle. <laughs> was it yesterday? Uh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, well, yeah it, it, no, this week anyway. Yeah. This hey, where's week. your hat? I gave you a hat. It's, it's in my truck. I got another one on. I know. It's my nice hat. <laughs> <laughs> how, so how come you went and seen sabrina what's the story there steve because she was giving me free stuff and why do you, why is she giving you free stuff because i monarched up oh you're a monarch member now oh and you get free stuff <laughs> oh wow okay cool and nice. he gets it delivered with a smile in town like how good is that there was Very a smile cool. okay well maybe not too much <laughs> hey so we got three monarch members on this call it was like a that. plastic bag and a here you go. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, the hat's pretty cool. I like the hat. It's got a special place in my truck right now. And you were wearing that yesterday, actually, or the other day on the last uh, podcast we did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. So, um, Sabrina, so what's up? What's going on with you? So you moved on to greener pastures. You're, um, what's, what's going on in your life? I don't know if they're necessarily greener pastures, but... Um... I'm super slim busy. So um, as you guys all know, I'm a surveyor by trade. <clears throat> and part of the other contracts that I was doing while I was working with sheep was draft work, like draft person work for a survey company. And so now I've actually expanded out and I work for a legal land surveyor now as well. Okay. So Good. between that and my kid and life, um, I'm, I'm super I'm busy. You probably can see my calendar behind me, actually. <laughs> it's covered in color. Is that the one that says drink vodka, drink Bailey's? Or is that a different uh, I skipped the vodka be gin, um, okay. but heavy dose of Bailey's. Excellent. Excellent. Multiple times a day. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're not completely free of sheep either. I think uh, I, I no. still get to talk to you once in a while. So um, let's, let's tell our listeners what you're doing on the wild sheep end for, for us. Uh, well, I've been helping out with the Granby project, which has been successful. So that was, that was such great news. And I'm so grateful to have been a part of that with Silt. Um, so now we're, we now have another piece of um, conservation property for wild sheep out there. Um, so that one's pretty much been tied up, but now I just look after our merchandise and our monarch uh, merchandise. That's why I was meeting Steve on the side of the street there the other day. Um, <laughs> you make it sound so dirty. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, and I'm just working on getting us some new merchandise out there and trying to get what we currently have uh, properly inventoried so everybody can find it. Cool. Um, but that's not all. What about, aren't you like a oh, our movie film? Now? Aren't you a producer now? Executive producer? No, no, no. That's, that's way too, that's, that's way beyond me. But um, yeah, I guess I just actually had a call with um, Filter Studios uh, sometime this week. It's on my calendar. Um, and we were just chatting about our timelines on the film and our goals and the challenges that we faced throughout not only just the COVID-19 thing, putting some yeah. major halts on our film, um, but just our funding requirements and stuff like that. And the fact that we have not only changed main characters and uh, the direction of our film probably three times um, and how successful we're being so far with it. So we're really excited to hopefully get this finished this year and release it early in 2021. So, um, okay, so 20, that's on the docket like fairly soon then if we're talking end of this year coming out in 21, that's, that's a good sign, eh? Yeah, and especially like if we're, I'm going to be sitting down and trying to 
get some specific funding requests just for some of our post-production. Um, so that is a bit of a requirement that we're looking at right now. However, um, our, our plan is still to forge ahead and make sure we get this out into the hands of our members and everybody out there for 2021. When, so, you say, when you say 2021, it sounds so far away, then you realize it's six weeks it's away. It's six weeks away. I know. So we're kind of under the gun right now um, to get our shit together. And oh, and I'll apologize if I swear on line. I'll try not. Oh, there's already a disclaimer. We recorded a disclaimer. Sabrina's coming <laughs> on. So this is not safe for kids. <laughs> no, that's right. Plug your ears. Feel the bleeps. Um, so yeah, anyway, our film is hopefully going to be out and released into the hands. Um, we're tentatively thinking spring, March, April, probably, um, so long as everything goes well. And so it's going to be perfect because it's, we, we kind of talked about it the other day because WSF released their version of this movie film and ours is now, it, they kind of did the intro and we're now the meat and potatoes, we feel that we're a great complement to that film um, to tag onto that. So we really, really look forward to getting this out into the hands of people. And I think it's um, it's going to be a real education piece. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the film. I, we haven't really shared that with our membership. We've, we've told them what we're doing one and we told them it's around movie and disease, but that's really the extent of it. Can you talk a little bit about, without stealing too much of uh, the limelight, what, is, what it's about and, and talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, as long as we don't change our direction on the film again, we'll be good. <laughs> um, so. It's about mycoplasma ovipotomiae, which is obviously a bacteria in wild sheep that can be contracted from domestic sheep. That's the basic gist of everything. The storyline that we're going with is to follow along how it happens and what Canada is trying to do to mitigate this a little bit more. Like we've talked a lot about, about wild sheep separation and doing things like that, but we're looking more on the scientific end of things. Helen Swancha has been amazing. She's one of obviously our main character. I'm trying not to give too much away on the film, but um, we've got some amazing producers that have been working with us and putting in for this film as well, along with our bios and the province. And so we're following a lot of the science and we're going to see, we're actually just waiting for some test results to come back to see kind of the direction that we're going to finalize the film in. Um, awesome. There, there so was everything's this, kind of what I know of it, there was a celebrity of sorts in it too, wasn't there? Uh, yes, there was. And uh, I don't know if I should drop a name or not, but go ahead. It's, be... it's been posted on our Facebook. Before. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Donnie Vincent. So um, very grateful to have him show up and be a part of that one uh, call that we had to deal with. Yeah. But we got some absolutely amazing footage. Um, I can't, I cannot thank Filter Studios enough for what they're doing. They're deeply invested. Uh, when they first came on, it was, they really had no idea what they were getting into, but they've, they put their heart and soul into this film and uh, I know what we're going to put out to our members is going to be remarkable awesome. and I'm very grateful to be part of it. That's exciting. I can't wait. I'm totally stoked for it. So um, can we mark it down January 1st? It's going to be released or what's uh... <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> January 3rd. Give her a couple of days. <laughs> what is it? The, the, the 35th day of never. Yeah. <laughs> October. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, so, with the society, Sabrina, you've got a long history. You were on our board years ago. Um, you were secretary. Um, you filled the executive assistant role. Uh, can you talk about where, where does your conservation background come from? Where does it come from? Did you grow up with this conservation ethic or, you know, how did you get involved in all this stuff? Well, that's a really deep question, Kyle. Um, 
(laughs) (laughs) I think it's, I never really grew up with it, to be honest. Like I I grew up on a farm and we we hunted for sustenance, uh, but we mostly ate beef, which I absolutely hate eating now. Um, But I think it's, when I'm out in the woods, it's something totally different. And I know as I keep growing older and I keep looking at my son, I see how more restricted it is from when I was a kid and how important it is to be on the ball about what we're doing out there and you look at the the wildlife populations they're so much different than they were too when i was a kid like i remember driving i used to live an hour out of town you drive to town and it would not be uncommon to see at least a dozen or two dozen animals whereas now we're lucky to see a couple couple deer in the neighbor's hay field sort of thing um so i guess the conservation thing is just it's probably deeply rooted because i feel at home in the bush like that's well i i'm scared of bears but um (laughs) but it's one of those things that i really believe that if we don't look after our resource and we don't look after what we have our kids aren't going to get that and my son's kids are not going to get that and um so maybe i'm a little bit more passionate about it because of that angle um yeah and when i first joined sheet many years ago that was (laughs) i have to thank a an ex-partner for that because we used to go to the sheep show all the time and he ditched me and it was one of those things I had nothing to do so I started to volunteer and that's when I met uh, Glay Cars and of course Jim's a very strong personality bless his soul and um, next thing I know I was up to my ears in volunteering so I might as well join the board and that's how I ended up getting in with the Wild Sheep Society and from there I think that's where my conservation kind of passion grew because then I could see well I can actually do something and you can put your hands on the ground and you can you can truly give back a little bit more so I, i'd say that's probably where it sparked from well, fantastic i never got to work with you when you're on the board previously but uh this this past two years has been just a pleasure working with you um in particular you know we, we've seen substantial growth over those two years and you were the backbone of that you were there every day in and out with dealing with our members and stuff so um, you know, really hats off to you, Sabrina, for what you've done for the society and, and for conservation in BC. It's pretty cool. So uh, I get a little, uh, sentimental when I talk about this crap, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome having you, uh, involved and, uh, we're just so thankful and so cool that you're still there. Like you're still supporting mm-hmm. us and you know, it's crazy where <laughs> we, we have a membership issue. I'm like, Sabrina, what are we doing here? We need some help. And, uh, and you're right there. And actually I feel a little bit guilty because you're, you know, you're, you're busy with your life. And uh, so anyway, we're super thankful. Appreciate all you've done. So. It's not that hard to drop an answer back on a, on a text message or, um, and you, you, it's funny enough, you're not the only one. I still have people that call me all the time and be like, so can you update my credit card or can you do this? And it's like, <laughs> I know internally I'm like, oh, I really should be sending you some video back, but it's one of those things I'm like, ah, it's just a minute, so I'll just do it. Because you know what, that's probably, as an introverted person, I don't mind being behind the phone. Um, and I enjoy being able to help the people. You guys have such amazing membership. Um, I don't know how many people when they read that I was moving on reached out to me after and was like, we're sad to see you go. Like, um, we never even met you, but we talked to you on the phone. And um, that really touched me a lot. I didn't realize the impact that I actually had. So um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, fantastic, well, it's, uh, we're super thankful. So you talked about your son. Um, and uh, I, I get to watch things on social and talk to you often about what's going on with, with him. Um, 
and he's a big part of your life and, and you're instilling that conservation hunting ethic in him. So um, talk a little bit about that. I, I see like you're such an involved mother. It's incredible the support you give him and, and what you're doing. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing in, in his life with regards to that stuff. Well, how long do we got? I could talk about him all day. Yes, you could. Um, <laughs> that little boy is amazing. Um, thirst for knowledge right there. Uh, this year, he was determined that he wanted to learn how to shoot. So we, and I, kudos to his daddy. That's their thing. They go to the range and they, they put thousands of rounds through 22s and he plays with my shotgun and the kid's getting to be a pretty good little sharpshooter. But uh, I respect I think respect for what we get and what we're grateful for is something I really want to instill in him. When we go out, I don't know how many times him and I've picked up garbage. Um, it's so funny now because I'll try not to swear, but uh, we go out and he sees garbage and he's like, these people are stupid. Like what, what are they doing? Um, and I love it because he's actually called on people. Um, he's seen somebody throw garbage and he walked right up to them and was like, pick that up. That you're, awesome. you're literally. Awesome. And I'm like, you're six. I couldn't get away with that shit, but he can. <laughs> so I think that's, it's, it's just learning to be grateful um, for what you have. And I was blessed to grow up on 500 acres to play around on. He only has 19, um, but I'm also very grateful for that because I have a lot of friends that their kids grew up in the city and they don't have that same independence, right? They don't have that same independence and they don't have that same... I don't know if it's the same drive to learn their surroundings and learn things. And I watch him and he goes out, he'll play right now. He's on this tablet, but um, normally he's outside and he's chopped down half my property. I'm sure with an ax, he's six. Um, he's been able to use an ax since he was probably about four. He can use a knife. Uh, that was the, the time he decided he was going to try to peel me potatoes for dinner and decided to cut his hand pretty severely. I decided it was time to teach him how to use a knife properly. Um, but they're all life skills and I want him to know that. And I also have this feeling where, because he is not scared, um, that if my kid ever wandered away and got lost in the bush, he'd survive the night. I know he would. He knows what he can eat. He knows we go pick spruce tips for tea. And he, like when we're hunting, I come home literally with pocketfuls of rose hips because <laughs> I taught him about rose hips. And so now he's like, oh mom, look, these ones are really ripe and red and we need to have tea later. And I end up washing clothes with rose hips a lot because they're full of rose hips, rocks, and sticks. Um, I think I'm digressing. I don't even remember what we're talking about. But see, you get me on a tangent, and I can talk about my kid all day. <laughs> um, the importance, though, um, him and I went and spent 10 days out uh, hunting, just him and I, this year. And it was, it was challenging. I'll tell you that. Um, but it was amazing. I got to, I got to watch him walk with me and we could sit in a slash and we'd sit there for a couple hours and he'd sit and he'd whittle and we'd look at things and we got to sit, we walked up on a bear about 60 yards away and I don't like bears at all. Um, I have a real terrible phobia of them and I'm working through it and this was the most coolest experience. I'll probably remember this one for my whole entire lifetime, but we managed to walk up because I'm always giving a hard time. I'm like, dude, you gotta be quiet. Heel toe, heel toe, heel toe, be quiet. Um, and I feel bad because I'm on all the time. Well, we walked up on this thing and we got to stand there and we got to watch it. The wind was perfect, stood up on a log, it was a nice young bear, it was eating berries. And so it, it watched us for a couple of minutes and I just kind of wandered off in the bush. So 
and I got to share that with him and show him that nature is more than just going out and harvesting an animal or killing something that you see. It's more about just sitting there and appreciating that we can do this and you have the ability to be in an animal's bubble and still be safe and still enjoy that um, and sit out in nature and we got to watch the fog roll in we got to watch the hawks we got to watch uh, it was I don't know I it was the coolest thing ever and he still talks about it um, and he still wants to go back out and he got to shoot his first gross with me this year which was like the cherry on top of our Mm-hmm. we didn't get anything else but um so yeah that's kind of there's a lot of passion there unfortunately very cool yeah it's awesome i love seeing the uh seeing him grow up in that environment and uh, such a passion and obviously he's going to be uh addicted for life without question for sure so it's- that little boy was hunting before he was even born i was three months pregnant when i was on a sheep hunt so um pretty sure <laughs> i think it's in his blood <laughs> that's awesome so speaking of that um who here on the calls shot a 41 inch uh, stone sheep anyone anyone <laughs> no takers <laughs> sabrina so tell me about your massive stone sheep that, that this is my first introduction to you actually that's when i first learned about you i seen that picture on social media i'm like who's that chick and what's up with that sheep and uh, so let's let's hear that story about um about your stone sheep <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, honestly, it's like shithouse luck. I'll never see the sheep like that again, ever in my lifetime. Um, I, I'm honestly speechless that I found a ram like that. Guys hunt for 60 years and don't find sheep like that. So um, I think the the animal gods or somebody up above must have been feeling bad for me because <clears throat> I found out I was pregnant and I actually had a two week sheep hunt book with a friend of mine up at the Shodi. And uh, of course, the mom guilt starts kicking in. Of course, I'm freshly pregnant, so I'm like, "Oh well, I can, I can keep people. It should be fine." Um, but you have a lot of people that don't agree with you, <laughs> especially grandparents of potential babies. Um, so I was kind of like, "Well, shit, maybe I better not go," because I'm like, "What happens if something happens? Like three months, it should be okay. Um, it's two weeks. We're in the middle of nowhere." Um, the the realistic logical side of me was like I probably shouldn't go um I was so bummed I like my first sheep hunt hooked me um I will I always say if, and, I, and when talking to sheep hunters here except Steve you haven't been on one yet have you don't rub it in <laughs> <laughs> I've got a sheep hat come on Oh, that's good. But it's one of those things I talk to people and I especially with the job that we're working with the society it was just like you talk to all kinds of people that either have or haven't sheep hunted and you either you either hate it or it's like a drug and you have to do it again and again and again and I don't care if I shoot a sheep it's just the challenge of being out there um, and both my first two sheep hunts were definitely riddled with some challenges and so I was super disappointed I couldn't go and um, Jesse Jake's dad at the time knew how bummed I was so he decided that we needed to do like a little we just go out and get me on a mountain I could go at least go hiking and pretend to go sheep hunt Um, so we ended up going not too far from home and uh, took our quads and then we uh, put them down in the valley and we hiked up and it was interesting because we went out the day before hunt, like before it opened, before opener, and we seen a bunch of sheep up on the hill, and we're like, oh, right on, there's some rams up there. Like, you don't normally see sheep there, but um, 
that'll be all right. So we'll go out and check them up in the morning. We went up the next day, got up there and we bumped a couple of little sheep, bumped a couple of ewes and lambs. Um, and uh, he had never backpack hunted before, like he's, he's guided and stuff, um, but he's never really camped out, like truly gone out and backpack hunted, like usually got horses and, and things like that, or if they have to stay out overnight, that's kind of what they do. But and so he was like, well, where, where should we camp on the hill? And I'm like, well, I don't know. We've seen the sheep over on this side. So why don't we just camp over by this like snow patch? Cause at least then we have some water and then we can maybe sneak up the next morning and see what we can see. Well, I'm an early riser and being pregnant, apparently you go to pee. And so I went to go roll out of the tent and my dog. So I, I hunt with my dog as well. I have an old, older Australian Kelpie and she goes everywhere with me. She will not leave the tent. She's a chicken shit. She won't leave the tent until I leave the tent. Um, so I went to go look out and all of a sudden I was like, holy, there's sheep like right there. And so I'm like dabbing him in the ribs. I'm like, dude, there's, there's fucking rams on the hill over there. Like you better wake up. And he's like, what, what? I'm like, okay, well, I really got pee. So I get the binos out and I'm glassing. I'm like, there's like, like legal rams. Like we, we need to, we need to go. And then he's still sleeping. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, what kind of a guide are you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I might as well just get up and go pee because they're like, they were a couple miles away, but we could still see them and stuff. But I was like, I'm not going to spook them. We're down far enough. They can't see me. So I went to go get up and he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going pee. And he's like, didn't you see there was sheep over there? I'm like, yeah. And then he sits right up in bed and he looks out the thing and he's like, holy crap, there's rams there. We got to go. And I'm like, well, I've been sitting and watching them for like 15 minutes. Like, what's your rush? I want to eat now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway we got ourselves all packed up and we hike over there and we we bumped a a nice young six-year-old ram and thankfully he didn't sleep too too hard but the ones that we saw i'd seen eight and i seen like a real big ram in there um but then they they fed over the hill and they went down into a nice deep jail slide and uh bedded down and we managed to get up on top of them dropped our packs left my dog tied to the pack and we creeped up and uh, we actually ended up getting a double header on this sheep hunt. Um, it was a lot of fucking work. Um, like, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure carrying that ram out was more pain than having a kid. Um, <laughs> I would do it again. The pack and the sheep out, mind you. Um, <laughs> so we get up there and uh, I see four. And the one that he ended up getting, which is a beautiful, beautiful ram, it's got some amazing width. I think it's like six inches wider than mine with some beautiful lamb tips on it, um, was the one I was going to take. But I was like, mm -mm, there's more. You, we got to find the rest. And so after he made me sit there and watch them for like an hour and a half and I'm starving to death, um, we creep up about another oh, 10 inches and we found the other ram. And I literally was like, I'm taking that one. There's no question. That's my ram. I had no idea at the time. Like I'm, I'm a fairly green sheep hunter. I had no idea at the time what the hell I was looking at. Like I was just like, that is a beautiful, beautiful old ram, and I want that one. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Needless to say, they both rolled down the shale slide, pretty much to the bottom. They locked up part way down, and we were like, we were so worried that they were gonna break horns and mm -hmm. bust up stuff. Um, mine was pretty beat up. He definitely beat up his face pretty good and I ended up backstory a little bit my 708 for some reason which is my like trusty go-to gun um wasn't hitting the broadside of a barn so I ended up having to borrow Jess's brother's 3 out six which I put two rounds through and I put a fucking huge hole 
and the front shoulder of my ram. So Ken Thibodeau really did not like me when I sent my sheep to him because he was like, I don't know how I'm going to fix this. <laughs> he did a great job though. Um, but yeah, they locked up and we were watching them just go down and you kind of get that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like this is, this is, this is not going to be good. Um, but thankfully it was only a quick hook and they unhooked. But uh, then the work began. It was, I took pictures, but pictures don't really do this shield slide justice. No. Yeah. Um, and we decided that we were going to be stubborn and stupid, and uh, we butchered both of them. I both carried them both back out. Um, my dog was pretty heavy loaded too, and uh, but we got them both out in one trip, and wow. uh, we packed them back to our spike camp and camped overnight. And then uh, we, I think my pack was like 85 or 90 pounds coming out. I definitely was. Uh, I was a hurting unit. Um, That's unreal. Eh? Wow. But uh. Best experience of my life. It was so cool. I haven't shot a sheep since, mind you. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell us about that. I tell us about the ram. I forget. It's insane. Tell me, age, all that stuff. He's uh, <clears throat> he was aged at twelve, wow. and he was um, forty-five by forty-three and a half. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and you shot him off your quad. You're when you're quad hunting, right? Right. Well, no, I had to actually backpack to him. <laughs> okay. And I had to backpack the fucker out, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 45. Wow, wow that's amazing. That's it. We Did taped actually... him. No word of a lie. We taped him. We were sitting in camp when we got him back there because we were like, holy shit. Like, he's definitely 40, but like, yeah, like, this is this is insane. Um, so we go back to camp that night and we're sitting there kind of resting our weary bones there we got out and of course we don't have tape measure so we're using a, a leatherman and we're like and then found a piece of string we pulled the string off one of our boots and like we're measuring it that way and i think we probably measured him like 25 times like literally like just measured him and then i was like no you gotta be shitting me so then i measure him and we sat there i'm sure like, probably 45 minutes sitting there measured him trying to be like no that can't be right um yeah once in a lifetime once in a lifetime and Absolutely. Uh, and it's funny because I, I have a lot of people give me a hard time because I, it took me five years to put them in the Boone and Crockett. Um, and that was only because they harassed me <laughs> to put them in there. Um, wow. What did they score I, them at? You know, you're going to ask me a really hard question. So he's Roughly. Like, I think he's 171 and six states, I think. Wow. Yeah. And that's after five years. Yeah. He probably would have been larger after, you know, you, if you scored him in 60 days, it would have been different for sure. So, yeah, yeah, that's wow. okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I the experiences for me, right? I guess I'm. I know there's probably a lot of guys out there like what? Like how how can you not be like? Why can't you? Don't you want to share that ram? And it's not that I don't want to. I'm very proud of it. But I guess I'm I'm a pretty humble hunter. I think. And, um, well, it's it's all it's never about the scorebook, right? Like that's no. that's not why you're hunting, obviously, right? So. Not not at all. Like I just love sheep meat. Like that that's so good. I would go hunting just to to have a ram to eat um and to be out there and experience it and i've definitely been out and come home empty-handed um many many a time my gun gets to go on a lot of hikes yeah um, <laughs> but yeah it's such an experience like the stuff i've seen and the photos i've taken and the, the emotions that you go through and my second sheep hunt um my buddy walked my ass off uh we were climbing straight up and down mountains i you don't look down like i'm not scared of heights but that that had my moment a couple times and like we're coming back after we've been hiking probably 14 15 hours that day chasing rams through the valley and 
uh, <laughs> funny part is, is we knew that our packs were not like our spike camp. We weren't making it back to camp that night. We were camping out. So you, you think about what's in your, your pack for rations and it's not a fuck ton. It's maybe a couple instant oatmeal packs and some trail mix and you don't have a lot of extra clothes that night. So, um, that really tests you mentally. And I love, 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 love that. Um, I think you really get to get in tune with who you are. Um, and I think the best place for me, I love to get out there, especially if I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I like to go out and, and be on those mountains and push yourself that physical mental stance to almost hit a reset and you really get back to what's important in life. Um, I think that's probably why I've been craving a mountain hunt so much in the last few years. There's just been so much stuff going on. Um, that's my love for being out there. The mountains are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the experience, right? It's uh, it definitely is a spiritual experience without question. Yeah. I would go sheep hunting every year if I could, I don't give a shit if I shoot something yeah. just to be out there. So was there any marital strife when you killed this massive sheep and, and Jesse didn't? <laughs> I'm sure he shot a nice sheep as well, but was there any, was there any envy there? How did that, how did that conversation go? Um, <laughs> I think he knows me. He knew me well enough at the time um, that there was no arguing. Uh, he definitely gets razzed pretty hard about it though. Um, that he let me shoot the bigger ram, but he also tells people that unless you know Sabrina, you know that there was no, there was no let. <laughs> it just happened. Yeah. We did have a deal though, that if we went caribou hunting <clears throat> and there was a nice caribou that I would let him shoot that one. However, if he missed, it was mine. <laughs> well, and truth be told, you spotted him, you, you earned him, right? It wasn't like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, here's your ram, shoot that one. You, you were out, you were glassing, you seen the sheep and you got on them. So yeah, we it, spent the time. Yeah, that's for sure. That's fantastic. Well, that's cool. What, what a great story. Um, so do you have any sheep hunts planned this fall? I guess it's tough now with Jake, right? Because uh, you're doing a lot of stuff with him and he's a little young probably to go on that first sheep hunt, like a, on a true mountain experience anyway, I guess. Eh? My goal is 10 for him. Um, cool. So my goal this year is to get him out where I want to do a bunch of hikes around Prince George and the surrounding area like Cumber Roads and some others and just start getting him out hiking and getting him out comfortable in the bush. It's another thing for me too, because you know, this is a, this is something that most people don't know, but I really struggle being out in the bush solo. Um, it's, it's a hard thing for me to do. Uh, it's, I've been really pushing myself to work through that and I'm getting more and more comfortable. Um, the more time I spend out there, I'm still pretty cautious. Um, especially when I take my son, cause it's just me and him. So if something happens to me. I had a pretty good scare this fall, actually. Um, it made me sit back and be like, all right, we need to uh, instill some safety rules here and teach my kid how to use an in rate because it just about flipped my quad coming off the truck. Um, and it, it, it took probably a good couple hours for my hands to stop shaking after that one. Just when you realize how fast that shit can happen. And it's not like I don't load and unload a quad all the time. It's not something that I, I'm green at doing. It just, it was, it was just happenstance that it, parked in the wrong spot there was a little bit of a hole and my quad bounced the wrong way and it was enough to scare the crap out of me pretty good so you really start to instill different practices when you're out there solo and with your son and I don't want him to have to deal with that at six um so I, I just try to be a little bit more careful um but it's also a good reality check for him too because if he's ever out with a friend or friends because he does do it and they go hiking I'm like He'll have those skills. He'll know how to be calm and safe and where the first aid kit is and how to call somebody. And um, 
So that was a really big eye opener this fall. Um, but it also makes me go, we can do this. I can do this with my son. He's six. We got this. We can take the quads out. We can go hiking. Um, he's a tough kid. I probably put 10 K plus on him sometimes on our walks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know by the time he's 10, I think that would be a safe and plus then he can shoot it legally. You know, like that, that's, that could be his first big, big animal. So I got three more years to get him, uh, get him all ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the kid can outwalk me any day. Any yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think mom will have to get in the shoot shape. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, cool. So, okay. So I know you're, uh, fiercely passionate about the outdoors hunting uh, youth in outdoors. I know that, you know, you were always passionate about that when you were working with us um, with, as an executive assistant. And one of the other things that came up all the time was dialogue was women in hunting. And I know you're a fiercely independent uh, woman. Um, you're super capable in the field by yourself. Um, let's just talk about, about a little bit about that, you know, um, maybe what you'd say to a new woman hunter and what that looks like and, and encouraging people. I know that you always I felt like you'd like to do more on that with, with your role on, you know, with wild sheep, but there's always a million other things to do on top of that. Right. So there was I'm making my own subscribers. <laughs> Are you? So they can subscribe. Very cool. <laughs> Future sheep hunter. Exactly. Um, I'm still really passionate about the woman in hunting thing. Um, it's, I actually belong to a couple of women in hunting groups on Facebook and social media. And I know I'm not very active, um, but I sit back and I watch and it's amazing how many women are starting to get into it. And I think it, a lot is the experience and the camaraderie for them, but I think a lot of it's being able to supply for their family too. And I'm hoping that my life will come down a little bit because I really would like to bring something into our community um that just help i i know myself and i'm stubborn it's because it's so plug it in sorry guys um where was i oh so for myself like i'm not i'm not like definitely the most experienced hunter by any means i'm still learning and i think my i think my biggest thing to somebody especially coming into it is don't be afraid to go out and try it you're gonna learn um be prepared try to be as prepared as you can um but don't ever stop learning and there's no re- there's no such thing as can't it, i shot a moose with my 19 year old au pair and um i've never got a moose in my life ever um especially solo i am very very professional like i am i'm so good at when i'm out with people we shoot something i'm just in the right spot and i hold legs and i hold skin I don't ever have to get them. <laughs> um, but that moose, it was all on me. And I was just like, okay, well, this is, you know what? You just, you think about it. And that's the thing. You just stop, you think about it. You, you, you look at stuff and it's pretty self-explanatory. There's a lot of common sense. I, you know, I'd probably maybe do things a little bit differently this time, but you just never stop learning and just don't say that you can't do it. And if you're scared, that means, you need to push your comfort levels and you need to keep keep going because then you get more comfortable. And that's my thing with being in the bush right now. What do you need? I'm for my ball. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one sec. What ball? So Kyle, how are you doing, buddy? Downstairs. Oh, well, are we still down there? As we pause for this brief break while Sabrina deals with her child. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Ah, very funny. Oh, oh, fantastic. That's good. For those that are listening, Sabrina is, whoa, put the fry pan down. Oh, never mind, he's gone. All good. I'm right here. Oh, <laughs> we have an extra. A brand new one we, we have extra help today. This is the life of um, a work at home mom, too. And I'm also making a play ball. Future executive assistant for uh, the Wild Sheep Society BC, probably. He's, He's one up of our proudest supporters. Yes. And I'm a blacksmith. I made an axe one. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> hey. That's awesome. He's got some serious sass, by the way. And just for the record, he's now uh, one of our guests as well. So it's not just with uh, Sabrina Larson, it's also with Jake. So. <laughs> Uh, um sorry guys thank you uh women in hunting so um yeah. work in the community so uh trying to uh create an environment for talk about that idea what do you what do you what's your vision for that that you, you started talking about it but i would love to see something where um we have small groups where we can get a bunch of women that are interested in like coming together and and working and just teaching them basic skills how to use a gun, like, or how to be, like, how to feel comfortable. I don't know how many people I've talked to um, that aren't comfortable even, they, they've done their pal, but they're still not comfortable around a rifle. And it's like, well, how do we get you comfortable? How do we get you out there? Um, how to dress, how to fit a pack. That's probably one of the hardest things for me is to find a pack that fits. Um, safety stuff, what do you throw into a pack? What do you do out there? How do you, how do you calm, as moms, we, <clears throat> I think as women, uh, I, I find that we're not quite mentally built the same as a man. You guys can go out hunting and I don't know how you do it, and, but I, I would love to be able to like take that part of your brain and plug it into mine because I get into my head a lot and I really would love to be able to just be like, shut those demons off and just be out there and enjoy what I'm doing. Um, but you're constantly thinking about the what ifs and what could happen and you know, the worst case scenarios um and i i would love to be able to take people like that and be like this is how you deal with that so my solution was when i went out <clears throat> for my first solo hike is i picked a spot where i knew there'd probably be a few people but it was a challenging hike and then i was like all right what are all the scenarios i'm going to run into i got bears i got maybe bad people i got weather i got broken legs i got broken dogs um, I got to have to sleep out overnight. My pack was heavy, um, but I prepared for it all. And then when I went out, I was like, doesn't matter what's going to happen to me out here. I know this is a local hike, but um, I'm covered. So if I got to sleep out overnight, I can in reach a friend. If I got to sleep out overnight, I got food. Um, I can feed my dogs. I've got a silt tarp. Um, it may not be the most pleasant night. Um, but I can do that. And I found that that was a huge confidence builder for me. And I think we just don't teach people that, that you just take that fear and you deal with it. What's the answer? Um, and I think if we could teach people and, and provide something for ladies out there, we'd probably see a few more of them and make those connections too. Like I don't have anybody to go hunting with. It's very common, except for Jake. I take him a lot, but um, <laughs> Um, but it's one of those things I think we need to build that network and that camaraderie and show that there's 
there's a lot more of us out there um, and share our experiences and share our knowledge um, because I do find, unfortunately, as a woman in hunting, trying to get that from a male perspective is really hard. Right, right. Well, Sabrina, so one of the things is just even the, the mentorship aspect, like even for me personally, when I moved to BC, I didn't have a hunting partner, right? My family's all in Alberta. Me just trying to find a hunting partner, it's difficult, right? You're trying to find a mm-hmm. schedule, someone on the same schedule. And this is uh, in a male dominated, uh, you know, task or um, uh, sport, I guess, maybe whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was difficult for me to find somebody. So I can't imagine being a woman where you're dealing with, you know, maybe, I, I don't know how many women are in hunting in BC, but I bet you it's certainly less than a quarter, maybe 10%. It's a small number, right? So Very, very small now, number. And then, and then there's, you know, trying to find somebody that you can, can find. And I, I'm not saying men and women that can't go on a hunting trip together, but there are challenges with that, right? There, yep. you know, some people aren't comfortable. Maybe somebody's married and they're not comfortable with their spouse going with somebody from the opposite sex or whatever that might be. Um, so it, it's, there's all these challenges. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that's what, what a huge barrier I see is that, I needed to be mentored as a young man when I was learning to hunt and then to find a hunting partner. Like I, I enjoy the social aspect of the hunting too, right? It's not mm-hmm. exclusively just being out there. That's the biggest thing, but it's not exclusively. So I enjoy being out there in the, the bush with someone and I don't need to be there with somebody, but I like it. So I think that that mentorship aspect is a huge thing, right? And, you know, trying to find somebody that you can go with is really, really difficult. So. It is. And I also find too, I've spent a lot of time, like I'm pretty independent and I have absolutely zero issues um, taking that leadership role. Um, But I find, I know personally for myself, it's really hard to find a hunting partner. Um, I've been very lucky to have a couple male influences in my life that are, I can call really good friends that are married and their wives are okay, um, that I can go hunting with them. And like current partner at the time has been fine. But that doesn't always happen. Um, but I also find too that the women that get into hunting, there is a lot of them out there that are confident and able, but they really look up to their, they really, I'm not a feminist, but I do find <laughs> a society, we re, as women, we really ha, are really forced to look at a male counterpart as that savior is that person that needs to be there. They're stronger, they're wiser, they're, they can last longer, they got better stamina. And as Jake says, wiser. Um, <laughs> um, but there's no reason why, and like, yeah, we definitely have physical limitations. And I know that, like I, you know, like when we- Hey dude, no. Um, but I know that there's definitely those physical limitations for women. So I think we need to be able to find and teach ourselves better ways of being able to do things a little bit differently and learn that we can rely. And I also find men have a tendency to create better camaraderie among themselves. Whereas women, it's almost like there's a hierarchy and we're trying to like one up each other. Whereas I think we really need to just learn like, no, no, we can do this together. And we're pretty powerful together, even though we may not have the physical strength and stamina of a male counterpart. Um, we have the ability to think through things a little bit differently and a little bit, I don't know how many times I've thought myself out of a situation and you just, you got to break it down. And I, I think we just need to build that confidence in our women and hunting counterparts and just be like, you got this, we can do this. This is how we do it. Um, here's the tools to do it. 
you don't have to rely on a husband or a boyfriend or a male friend to be able to do this. We can, here's the things. Um, there's actually one woman right now and I'm, I'm going to throw her name out here, Jocelyn McDonald. I don't know her real well, but I did have the pleasure of meeting her and she does these uh, backpacking trips in the um, wilderness up Muncho Lake to Shoday area. May not be so Shoday, but Muncho Lake anyway. And absolutely incredible. Hey. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Sorry, guys. Um, okay, so Jocelyn McDonald. Um, she does amazing hikes, and actually, I want to want to go catch up with her this year and take on one of her retreat hikes just to see what she does. Um, because she empowers women. She empowers them how to be out in the bush, how to survive in the wilderness, how to pack, how to do these things. And I'd love to bring her in as a resource down here um and just share those tips with people um i also have a big thing about the whole youth stuff too um just getting our kids out and teaching them there's so so much stuff out there like there's nature walks and like how to survive in the wilderness and like how to like recognizing berries like those are so important when you're out there um those little things so I, I, I think there's so much knowledge that we're not sharing. What about bear defense? I think that'd be a good one for you. That too. You probably don't want me to tell you what I tell my kid when there's bear defense. <laughs> <laughs> Big stick, lots of noise, go to truck. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel that we really need to, hunting's always been a big man sport, right? It's always been the male goes out and, and, I, and that's just, that's historical. Oh, the women are the gatherers and the men are the harvesters, right? So, um, and, I, I'm, and I'm not trying to change that by any means, but I think it's one of those things that it's really cool and really empowering um, to be able to know that you can go out and you can survive doing something like this. Well, you talked about the physical limitation and it was interesting. You talked about your sheep hunt and a 90 pound pack. There's a lot of men that can't put a 90 pound pack on, right? So, um, you know, really, you know, yeah, okay, I get the, that there are physical limitations, but if you're packing 90 pounds, you can do anything a man can do. You're, right? you're not too physically limited. <laughs> that fucking almost killed me. Yeah. My hips, I tell you, how we paid for that for about three years after. Um, that was, yeah, I, the, I do not recommend carrying that amount of weight when you're pregnant. Mental note taken. Right. I, I, not only... Were you carrying that pack? You're also three months pregnant. I forgot that part too. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I would. I would pack that. Um, you know, like a sixty-five pound pack. That's that's doable. Um, definitely a well-fitting pack is is key. Um, I was so grateful that pack that I packed that sheep out with. I literally had picked up from the mailbox the day before my sheep. What hunt kind of pack was it? It's a kafaru, and it's just a simple, basic external pack frame. Um, but it fit me well. Um, it was the smallest frame I could find at the time. And uh, it, it is definitely no bells and whistles with this pack, but it, uh, it, it, it did the job. It sat where it needed to. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I keep hearing that is uh, pack fitment is, is, is key. I spoken with Kyle about it a bunch of times, burned, burned his ears off about which one's better, this one or this one or this one or this one. It keeps coming back to fit. I, yeah. I've been, uh, I've got a smaller pack that I've had 20, 30 pounds in going up University Hill for months now. 
and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up some of that water softener salt. So 50 pounds. And I threw it mm-hmm. into my big backpack, threw it on my back and went, oh God, no, I see what you mean about the backpack fitment now. So this, this one that I've had for years that I've never really tested is, well, it's behind me on the floor in the office right now. It's not going anywhere <laughs> with any weight in it. So definitely, definitely get you there. I've been wrecked by packs. So I had like an elk camp pack for my first sheep, my first two sheep hunts. It, they almost ruined me. Um, oh, yeah. And then I remember too, I remember an elk hunt I was on. We shot an elk, oh gosh, probably three kilometers away from the river from our boat. And so my partner at the time, he had a, he had a good pack. Um, problem is, is that I didn't have a good pack and our pack wasn't with us. And so I got this little dinky, like almost like a little kid's school backpack um, that we kind of just carried like our calls and lunch and shit around in. Yeah, well, I carried that. I had no word of a lie, bruises and like, yeah. sores yeah. on my shoulders from carrying that thing um I, I i can't tell you how how important it is for a pack and i have a, a lot of ladies ask me like well same thing what kind of a pack do you use and what do you recommend and i'm like try it on pack it as heavy as you can and then go for a walk and if it doesn't hurt you too badly um and if it puts all the weight on your hips then you're good but if you're so feeling pain and pinches and spots that you shouldn't it's not the right fit for you I have noticed since I've been pregnant um, that my pack doesn't fit quite the same as it used to. So I may end up having to revamp and have to buy another pack and they're not cheap. Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, that's the problem with the the packs is you can't try them on either, right? Like it's, uh, yeah. it's not like you can go to Cabela's and try on a Kafaru and a Stone Glacier and a, a Sitka and a Barney's. They, they don't offer that, right? So it's kind of like, how, how do you do that? It's actually kind of, you know, the high end packs are, everyone sells them, you know, direct to market, right. And, uh, or direct to consumer and you can't try them on. So, but that's the thing you got to try them on. You like, uh, you never know, like you try one on if it's great and then you try the next one on. That's terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. No, just not, not a terrible pack, but a terrible fit for you. It just doesn't pack. fit for you. And I think that'd be another perfect opportunity with this whole, we talk about the women and hunting thing. Whereas if you can get that kind of gathering together, let's have a pack frying on seminar. There's enough people. I know if I reach out, um, especially now that I've been with sheep, like I, I know if I put a call out to a few guys and be like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. What do you got out there? Can I borrow a pack for a couple of days? Cause I need to, you know, let a bunch of ladies try this stuff on. I think that would be very, be so useful. Um, cause yeah. I know myself, like I, I bought this pack sight unseen and I really hoped it was going to fit. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's what we should do. We should, for wild sheep, we should do something, you know, do a couple seminars across the province yeah. where we have, we'll get all the major pack manufacturers, get us, ship us a pack and um, we'll have all of them there and, and people can come and try them on, right? Um, and, and just put something together and, and maybe do something around, you know, some other event around it as well. But have people try these packs and obviously it'd be great for the manufacturer because they, they're going to get their product in front of a bunch of people that get to try it on, right? Exactly. So, um, I think that would be a fantastic idea. I like it. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, that's a good tip for sure. Sabrina makes sense. So you, now you're saying that Kafaru doesn't quite fit you the way it does. So you're looking at changing it up now, possibly. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, right. I've been looking at a stone glacier, but I haven't got to try. I tried on the medium belt. It was actually at the backpack race for our sheep show. I was like, man, this actually, you know, it doesn't fit too bad. So now it's kind of got me thinking, um, I'd like to try one with a small belt and, 50 or 60 pounds in it and take it for a walk yeah. but back to that who has one in a small belt that I can actually try right, right. Um, I'm not going to drop 
eight or nine hundred dollars for a pack that I can't use. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the issue, isn't it? For sure. Mm-hmm. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steve knows all about that. <laughs> I do. I, it's it's tough. Kyle's got the two ones that I want to try, but well, he's more than a hop, skip, and a jump away, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all, we're spread all over here. Well, I guess you and I are in the same town, but Kyle's on the yeah. opposite end. Yeah. Well, he's even farther away. He's in Los Angeles right now. Oh. Yeah. I actually like that idea though, where we, you know, try and get some packs together for, for people to try it. I think it's a great opportunity for a manufacturer too, right? Why wouldn't they have their product there for somebody to try on and, and have some literature on it and stuff. So yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, Yeah. I'd be all over that thing on our list Mm -hmm. to do. So cool. Yeah. My, yeah. My volunteer thing, right? (laughs) Exactly. Thanks for volunteering, Sabrina. You're hired. Um, I know this is my problem. I'm like, oh well, this would be so great, and then it's like, yeah, crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, suck you in some more. So, what's what's on the horizon for you? So, um, like, uh, you're you're doing your survey stuff, but that's not all you're doing. You're doing um, you've got a, some side businesses too, don't you? Like, what's going on there? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a woman that just doesn't sit still apparently. So I have 19 acres. So I got a farm. I got a couple horse, a couple dogs. Um, like a six year old, and then I have two survey contracts. I still do work for you guys on the side. And then I also have a small Norwex business. It's just an independent sales distribution business. But that little business is I've done it for 15 years and it helps pay my vet bills when, you know, my animals decide that they need to uh, hurt themselves. So yeah, I add that on the, I add that on the side and then whatever else seems to come up. Uh, I do try to spend some time with my son and I do feel bad because I do work a lot. Um, so I do try to spend as much time as I can with him and take him out. I want to get him into ice fishing this year. He's got, he's a huge lover of fishing. I suck. I don't fish. I know nothing about fishing. I will admit that. I'd much rather go hunting. Are you looking in my direction for help or something? You kind of. I, I didn't say that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> um, he brings his ax so we can chop through the ice. I actually have an ice auger. I'm setting myself up. I got a couple ice fishing rods. I got an ice auger. Next step is a tent, a body heater because I hate being cold. I got one. Oh, I got well. a couple of tents as well. So you're oh, good. Yeah. Might, <laughs> might have to meet you on the street again. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> um, so that's my goal this fall or this winter is to, is I need to learn some fishing and uh, I want to get them out. <clears throat> take them snowshoeing, take them fishing. And uh, just my whole reason to be self-employed and to do this stuff from home, because I used to work for government. I did 12 years with government and uh, I'm tired of the nine to five life. Actually, I wasn't nine to five. I was probably more like seven to seven and I traveled a lot. And I know Kyle, you get that whole travel life thing um, because you travel a lot with your work. Um, But I wasn't home enough and I didn't, I was missing out on his life. So that's why a lot of reason why I work from home and uh, I'm still struggling finding that balance of being able to go do more things with him but i'm working on it well you're making good lifestyle choices for sure sabrina and raising one heck of a kid there with a great uh uh, conservation ethic and respect for the outdoors so so we need uh we need more people doing that sort of stuff and i think the world would be a better place right so i agree and i think the more time we actually spend um talking to them and teaching them kids are sponges I can't believe how much he can regurgitate. Like I tell him stuff and I don't even think he listens to me. And the next thing I know, he's regurgitating it to somebody else. And I'm like, wow. Like, and he takes beaver schools to school. How cool is that? 
That's awesome. I like this kid. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Um, we've taken an hour of your morning um, and just so thankful for you coming on and talking to us and, and all the work you've done to support us. And um, I know our, our Wild Sheep community is misses you for sure as our executive assistant, but uh, the cool thing is you haven't gone far and, and just thanks for everything you do every day. You just, uh, it just seems, um, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're always there. So super thankful for all you've done and continue to do and uh, super thankful to have you as a member for a monarch member for the society too. So it's pretty cool. Oh, well, thank you. I, I enjoy it. And I, I'm pretty sure once I think the wild chief study is a bit of a mafia. I think once you're in, you're in for life. Yeah. It's like the hotel California, right? You can never leave. Never leave. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Sabrina. Uh, have a wonderful winter. Well, let's do this again. Actually. Uh, I was just thinking about it. once this movie film gets, we get this together. Um, like to get you on, get, uh, Jesse from filter. Um, and it'd be good if we could get Donnie on as well. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and talk about, about it. We, we've talked about the project a little bit about the Fraser project. Um, we had Ben on for a bit and he talked about some of his work with, uh, yeah. with the Fraser project. Um, and maybe one of the regional bios, so, you know, kind of get a, you know, a cross section of people on to talk about the film and what's going on there. And uh, it's a big thing, what we're doing in the Fraser river there. It's an incredible, uh, have you added it up over the last three years, what we put into it? I've got a spreadsheet. I forgot to look, but I know the Wild Sheep Society, we, we just did the numbers, Steve. What were we? We said 118,000, I think. 94, I was going to say around 120. Yeah, 117, I thought it was. Okay. Right. I think we were Somewhere in there. Four, 96 the first two years, and then we just approved another 24. So, um, you know, and, and that's the discussion, right? Like Chris Barker, our projects chair, said several times, you know, look what this disease issue costs us. So, let's let's put some exclusion places in let's keep wild and domestic sheep separated somehow figure it out whatever it takes mm -hmm. um and because look at what it's costing this is one little area and this I, is I don't not know even what, the whole province that's the thing no right? it's like, it's region three and one spot on the fraser it's not even the whole fraser ecosystem no. if you so you start adding those numbers up it's it'd be literally mil millions of dollars and we still haven't solved the problem it's still there no. we still have that's this right. Right? so um it it has to be addressed we have to figure out a way and i get i get industry i get the domestic producers concerns um for sure like and i and i'm certainly sympathetic to it but we have to find a solution i don't know exactly what that looks like we're really really blessed to have some um amazing producers working with the sheep society right now um i don't think i don't think we could give them any bigger kudos they're they're pretty, they're pretty open book and they're pretty flexible and they really want to make this work for us as well as for them. Mm -hmm. um, one of the big things that I've started to see um, working a lot more closely with this particular project is that it, it, if it's big for the wild sheep, like it, it's detrimental to wild sheep, but it's also costing our producers. Mm -hmm. um, we had one specific producer that lost a lot of um, domestics due to the moby bacteria. And we're talking not not just fives of thousands, but tens of thousands of dollars um, in domestic sheep. And as a small time farmer or domestic sheep producer, that's that's a huge hit. And mm -hmm. they can't do that. You're losing bloodlines. You're losing your revenue. Um, and those are that's hard to build back from. Like she was bringing in um, specific bloodlines from you know all over the country. And when you lose that that's detrimental to your own, your own thing. So I, I think if we, as we're going through with the science that we're dealing with, 
um, the way it's leading right now, it's looking very positive. Um, and I think we may be onto something. And so I really hope that with this positive, like with these positive kind of returns, um, we can show the, the larger scale producers and the, you know, just the, the domestic world that there is a, a, an option out there that is not so drastic mm-hmm. to what you know, past talks have been. Um, and that there is a collaborative ability to be able to make this happen. And, and it's, not only just, it's not only just about wild sheep, it's about everybody involved and yeah. how we can help each other move forward with this. So well, I, I'm really excited to see what we come back with. Like really, really excited. Absolutely. Well said, Sabrina. And that's the thing is there are those domestic producers out there that are genuinely care. They, you know, I grew up in an agriculture family. My dad was a rancher and, um, you know, we, my dad had a huge conservation ethic. He loved seeing the animals on, on, on his property. And, um, and I know most farmers and ranchers feel the same way. Right. And, but what's really cool is seeing these producers that want to make that difference and are actually going the extra step and it's costing them time, money and resources to do that. Um, and we, we need to sort of, and I don't know how we do a better job of this. And we've actually had some dialogue. I've talked to, so Brad Siemens, I think he was the first producer in BC that um, was Movi free. So he's got a yep. flock of mouflon and uh, they're Movi free. Brad just tested them again uh, about a month ago. He said, he sent me the results. He goes, he was so proud, right? And he's like, Yay, yeah, goes, I can awesome confirm news. we're Movi free. Um, which is fantastic, right? So, you know, our hats off to producers like that that are making a difference. Um, and, uh, you know, part of this, I think a big part of this, my personal feeling, and, I, you know, I'm new to this. So guys like Kevin Hurley that have been in this game a long time, Helen Schwancha, you know, they've been doing this for, for decades, literally. Um, you know, they, they know way more. But I think education is a big part of it, right? We just need to yep. share that message. And, you know, if we have a shared concern for the 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 wildlife and and domestic sheep and and that's the key right is educating everybody right and i think and i think one of the big ones is i think i think we need to be transparent and we need to be wholesome when we share that message mm-hmm. um because i find that oh well and prime example is what we're dealing with right now is with COVID 19 like there's so much shit out there what do you believe right and so everybody builds their own opinion surrounding what what they get Whereas I, I feel like we need to educate and we need to look at something from both sides of the standpoint. Um, you know, like I grew up in a farming background too. And so I give a shit about the sheep, like the domestic sheep and the domestic producers. And I see that kind of, that anxiety that comes up when it's like, well, this is, you're, you're threatening something. And it's like, well, no, no, wait, that's, that's pretty harsh language. Let's, let's change that. How can we change that from a threat to a, this is just a problem and we need to solve it. And how are we going to solve it? Well, we need you to solve it because you're part of the puzzle. Um, I want to see wild sheep on the landscape, but I also want to see our producers out there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really feel that we really just need to make sure our conversations are honest, our conversations are clear, and that we we share education across the board that not only affects domestic sheep, but it or I guess it affects wild sheep, but it also how it affects domestic sheep. Mm-hmm. And then everybody feels somewhat included in some way and always make sure that we incorporate both sides. Um, I, th- I really truly feel that makes a difference. And I, I think Sheep Society has done a really great job in that lately. Um, you've really reached out to a lot of the producers and you really reached out to, to get that science and to the, the, and the wild sheep people, the guys too, right? Like the ones that really give a crap about the wild sheep and where we got to go with that. We really 
took the time to listen on both sides. And I think that's, I can't say how critical I think that is. I think we need to all gather around one campfire and have a <laughs> I may know someone. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, fantastic insight into everything there, Sabrina, in the movie. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that movie. I actually haven't seen anything. I've seen a few clips here and there and some pictures, but I'm super excited to see this. And have you been seeing any of the work that's been done on it? No. Okay. No. Yeah. They're okay. holding it pretty close. We talk about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that little clip trailer is the first thing I got to see. And I'm, I'm blown away. Like they've captured an emotion and a story in there in 30 seconds. Wow. So imagine what we're going to do if we're, we're between, you know, I don't know, eight and 20 minutes. Imagine what we could do. There is talk depending on how we proceed forward, but um, if we can get the right people on board, we may look at it doing it as an episodical um, version. Okay. Um, just to see if we can release it out to more people. So wow. that's something to talk about too. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, um, I'll let you get back to Jake. I'm sure he's ready for uh, for more action. Go out and chase Always. some some rabbits in the yard or something. So go chop down some trees. So. Yeah, most stuff keeps their head pretty low around here. Yeah. The last one that didn't was a coyote. So. Okay. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Sabrina. Great chat with you. Always a pleasure to to just uh, touch base and uh, thanks again for all you do. Yeah. Thanks so really much for uh, putting me on here today. It was an honor. Yeah, I sure enjoyed it. We'll get it out soon and we'll talk to you. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for your time. You bet. Have a great day guys. You bet.